is the shortlist, a roundup of today's most captivating stories you'll want to share with your friends, compiled by USA Today editors. Now for today's headlines. Egypt air crash. Weather conditions were clear. What happened is not. We're sure going to miss his sound. USA Today Network investigation pulls back the veil on Trump's tax trouble. For our first story today, an Egypt air flight en route from Paris to Cairo swerved wildly before disappearing from radar Thursday and crashing into the Mediterranean Sea. The Airbus A320 made a quick 90-degree turn, a full 360-degree turn, a dive from 38,000 feet to 15,000 feet. At 10,000 feet, the plane was gone from radar. There were no signs of survivors. The crash is the latest in a long string of crashes and hijackings of Egypt airplanes over the past 40 years. There were 10 crew members and 56 passengers aboard, including three children. Their nationalities spanning a dozen countries. However, there were no Americans on board. Whether this was an act of terrorism is still under investigation. Next up, can you hear it? That rich tobacco and whiskey voice of Moiley Safer narrating more than 900 stories over 46 years on 60 Minutes. That voice has been silenced. The veteran journalist died one week after announcing his retirement from the CBS TV news magazine. Safer exposed a military atrocity that changed America's view on the Vietnam War. We learned from Safer how Ruth Madoff found out her husband Bernard was running the biggest Ponzi scheme in history. Safer had the longest ever run on primetime network television. This AP clip remembers Morley Safer. It was just over a week ago CBS announced he was retiring. The network says veteran 60 Minutes reporter Morley Safer died Thursday. No details on his death were immediately available. The Russians are coming. Or at least they want to. A statement from 60 Minutes called Safer a master storyteller, a gentleman, and a wonderful friend. Suppose you had a few dollars. CBS chairman and CEO Les Moonves said Safer was a groundbreaking reporter whose name will always be linked to the news magazine. Over the years, Safer did 919 stories for 60 Minutes. I'm Mike Wallace. I'm Morley Safer. Which he joined in 1970, taking up the co-host chair alongside Mike Wallace. On Sunday, 60 Minutes aired a tribute to Safer after announcing his retirement May 11. Hello, Molly. In his 40 years with 60 Minutes, Safer covered everything from his first story about U.S. sky marshals to a 1984 profile of Jackie Gleason to a theory that red wine can be good for your health. If you like that one, pal. We thought it his final story in March profiled a Danish architect. Over his career, Safer won three Peabody Awards, 12 Emmys, and two George Polk Awards. It happened less than 40 years ago. Morley Safer was 84 years old. Lori Neff, The Associated Press. And for our last story today, while Donald Trump refuses to release his federal tax returns, saying his tax rate is none of your business, a USA Today tax analysis found Trump's businesses have been involved in at least 100 lawsuits. 
and other disputes related to unpaid taxes or how much taxes businesses do owe. Take a listen to reporter Nick Pinsen-Statler and Trevor Hughes discussing the report during a USA Today Facebook Live session. Good afternoon, folks. My name is Trevor Hughes. I'm a reporter with USA Today. I'm here in our Denver bureau with Nick Pinson-Sadler, who's a reporter for our investigative team. And if you spent the last months, right, working on this story about Donald Trump and his taxes, tell me, what, what did you find? Yeah, we, uh, we had this story come out this morning in, the, in today's paper, and uh, we sought to um, scrub Donald Trump's tax history uh, with both his property taxes and his business taxes um, that are much more accessible than some of his income filings, which are very hard to get at. And, and what's, what's the relevance of looking into something like Donald Trump's income taxes and his property taxes? Um, well, right. So his whole business is built on, um, a lot of it is on his property holdings. So um, we, th- we think it's fair to scrutinize um, uh, both the values of his properties, because he makes that a big part of his campaign pitch. Um, and the record of paying um, his tax obligations, which is what we looked at. And so, and so what did you find as you looked at this? So there are two uh, really key findings in our report. Um, uh, the first, which um, there's been some reporting on this, is that um, um, Mr. Trump um, aggressively seeks to reduce the value of his property holdings. Um, he does this all around the country um, in Florida and Nevada. Uh, New York, New Jersey, with golf courses and hotels and condos, um, where on one hand he's really publicly boasting about how much they're worth, but then behind the scenes is working really hard to reduce his property taxes. Um, And then uh, the second part of our story was also about paying his obligations on time. And in many cases, we found that uh, it took a court process and a, a court order for him to pay some of his tax obligations with seemingly sometimes really small amounts of money. Now, now a lot of us don't necessarily like paying taxes and we would like to minimize our tax bill. Is there, is there anything wrong with this? I mean, we got that question a lot, right? That people are saying, well, what, what's the big deal? If you don't have to pay a lot of taxes, why should you pay taxes? Right. So on the, on the property tax side, um, Trump has been really vocal about this and his attorneys spoke to us about it is that um, if he thinks something's unfair, um, he's going to try to, to take advantage of it and try to uh, appeal it and change it. Um, and there's definitely nothing wrong and nothing illegal about that. Um, and there's also uh, the other side about this with the warrants. And, and that's a little bit uh, on a different scale, I think, where um, a, a tax bill is issued and it takes um, a legal process, in some cases, for him to pay it, uh, which is what we found. Okay. So, folks, we're taking questions um, from the audience. If you have any questions for Nick or the members of the team who investigated this story, we're happy to answer those questions for you. Feel free to file them in. Um, otherwise, we're going to keep chatting a little bit more about this. So, Mr. Trump has has holdings across the country. Are, are they his properties or are they his company's properties? Is it is it a licensing? How does that work? Right. So, uh, there's varying degrees of property ownership by the Trump organization. Um, uh and a lot of this we can get into with his federal election filing. That's the, uh, the best snapshot of his current holdings. Um, and it's more than 500 um, corporations and limited liability corporations that, um, that own and operate many of these properties um, all over the country from um, Hawaii to Nevada, like I said, New Jersey. Um, so he, in many cases, does own these. Um, and in other cases, has parts of them and pieces and licensing agreements. But um, when it comes to what we were looking at, it was about... Um, what are his obligations, and does he pay them on time? Okay, and and so for people like a, like a regular person, can can a normal person contest their tax bills in the same way, or is this something that you need lawyers and and expertise in? 
Um, anybody can do this on their property taxes. It's part of the process of uh, usually a tax valuation or a tax assessment. Um, you get the number and you can go ahead and appeal it or challenge it, um, both at a local, usually county level, um, and then also sometimes at a state like Equalization Board, and they can appeal it um, up the chain. Now, and you had talked to a number of different public officials about um, the struggles they had in getting these companies to pay their taxes. Is that right? And and what what were they saying in terms of, of how difficult it was sometimes to get these taxes or these warrants paid? Right. So, I mean, the, the, the part we got with that was these um, the, the city itself, the city of New York, often um, we found more than 50 times had to go to court to get either a lien or a warrant to get these payments, um, which is kind of the last step um, after warnings and, and letters. Um, and we don't really know why that is. Um, from the Trump organization's perspective, they've said um, they don't really know the details of a lot of those. And like we said before, these are seemingly really small amounts of money we're talking about. Um, um, but just since the campaign started last year, we found $13,000 in unpaid obligations that uh, ended up being warrants in the city of New York. Well, that's it for the shortlist. Tomorrow morning, be sure to listen to USA Today's Five Things, giving you the top stories you need before you start your workday. The shortlist of five things are part of the USA Today Podcast Network. You can stream or download our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. I'm Robin Smith. Thanks for listening.